0: remember that this time last year Gillian and I went to Zimbabwe to speak at a student conference in Gweru, and uh, it's the anniversary of that conference uh, this weekend and I just mentioned this because they, the organisation that runs this is called Focus and they have uh, three of these conferences running pretty much one weekend after another. Uh, Privilege was speaking at one last weekend And then next weekend, there's another conference in the area where Gift and Portia are going to be planting a church next year. But um, just talking to the team and finding out what's going on, they are resource-constrained, so do please remember them in your prayers and do pray that the Lord will do a great work through these conferences and raise up a new generation um, of committed Christian people in that very troubled country. Well, I do hope you're going to keep Daniel 10 open in front of you. As you can see, it's um, slightly less than straightforward, and I'll need you to be checking up on me all the way through. And I'm going to pray now and ask the Lord to be with us. The writer to the Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious life-giving word and we pray that your word would do its work in our lives this morning. And we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, many years ago now, I um, found myself on a film set. Um, It happened quite by accident. Um, I was driving through the south of England and found myself in a village that I'd never been at before. It was late in the afternoon. uh, The streets were deserted. And then I heard some very loud bangs and crashes and some shooting coming from the other side of the village so I followed the sound and uh, it was all happening around a church and uh, when I got there I was absolutely astonished to see a group of soldiers outside the church shooting at another group of soldiers inside the church and I was shocked. I mean if you live in England You're not expecting to see anything as violent as that, and certainly not in a village church. But then I saw the cameras, and I saw the lights, and I saw some men with megaphones, and it suddenly dawned on me that I'd got it completely wrong. This was a film set. And as it turned out, they were shooting a scene uh, from a movie called The Eagle Has Landed. Uh, If you've seen it, you'll know it stars Michael Caine. It went on to become a great box office success. And when I went to see the movie in the cinema, um, I felt a great sense of privilege and pride when we got to the scene which I'd watched being filmed because I'd been taken behind the scenes to see what was actually happening. Now, I start with that because the book of Daniel has got plenty of violent action. Uh, We saw that, didn't we, in chapters 1 to 6. And it also takes us behind the scenes from chapter 7 to the end of the book, chapter 12. So chapters 1 to 6 are, if you like, the battleground where God's people uh, live and uh, they're living their lives in the strength of God and for the glory of God. But then chapters 7 to 12 are where we're taken behind the scenes and we see something of the unseen heavenly world. So do you remember back in chapter 7 we were given a picture of the throne of God. And then in chapter 8, which we didn't look at in church, we're told about some of the players that were yet to come onto the stage of world history Then, last week in chapter 9, we saw that Daniel prays for mercy for the people of God. Now, dear friends, uh, we find it difficult, I find it difficult, you find it difficult, to remember both the seen and the unseen world. To walk by faith in the Word of God rather than walking by sight is actually a difficult thing. It's easier for me uh, to walk by sight because we're visual people, living in a visual culture. And of course, the philosophy that is drummed into us all the time is that things are, quote unquote, natural, Uh, the supernatural world is for weird people. And we who believe in Jesus don't want to be thought of as weird. So I wonder if you can imagine what it would be like to be with the Lord Jesus back in the first century. Jesus, of course, is the wisest, the most wonderful, the most sane person the world has ever seen. And there you are, you're traveling with the Lord Jesus, and he puts you into groups of two or three, and he sends you off into a village. And after you've had a useful And encouraging time, you come back and you tell him some of the great stories. And Jesus says to you, I saw Satan fall like lightning. As you did your mission, it was a preview of Satan falling. Or uh, some people come to Jesus and they criticize him, saying, "Uh, we know where you get your power from. You get your power from the devil. And Jesus turns to them. And he says, well, why on earth would Satan cast out demons? I mean, it's in his best interests for Satan and demons to possess people. And Jesus talks about Satan as if he's just another political leader in a neighboring country. Or imagine something else. Imagine there you are, sitting at the Last Supper, and during the meal... The Lord Jesus turns towards you, he looks you right in the eye, and he says, do you know that Satan has asked for you? He's asked to sift you, he's asked to disqualify you from the kingdom of God, but I've prayed for you. Now what a shock to our system to hear something like that. Astonishing, isn't it, this awareness Jesus has of the unseen world. And as Jesus talks about these things, and as the Bible talks about these things, you never actually get the impression that God is nervous. You know, as if the spiritual battle is finally poised. It's not. It's not evenly poised. God wins. But at the same time, you never get the impression that God is casual about the battle, or that he wants us to be casual about the battle as if it's unimportant. Because the reality, my dear friends, is that all the time, people are moving to one of two destinations, and when they reach that final destination, they never emerge from it. So come with me to chapter 10, verse 1, and uh, you'll see that Daniel is given information about a great war. Uh, Chapter 11 uh, describes the war itself. You might want to read that chapter for yourself during the week. And then in chapter 12, which we're going to look at next Sunday morning, we're told what to do in light of this great war that's going on right now this morning behind the scenes. But this morning we're in chapter 10, and we're going to consider three things in the chapter that are characteristic of God's kingdom people. And the first is that God's kingdom people believe in the seen and the unseen. Christians believe in the seen world. We also believe in the unseen world. I'm sure I don't need to remind you by now that Daniel lived in the real world He sweated, he bled, he's a normal human being. So you remember back in chapter 1, we see that Daniel understands politics. Do you remember? He's got to decide whether to cosy up to the king and compromise his faith or not. Then in chapter 2, we see that he understands religion, because he finds himself surrounded by astrologers and magicians and idol worshippers just as we do today. In chapter 4, we find that Daniel understands power games because he sees Nebuchadnezzar exalting himself, puffing himself up, only to find himself humbled by Almighty God. And then in chapter 5, we see that Daniel understands secularism. Do you remember he's brought into that drunken party, Belshazzar's party, And in chapter 6 we see that he understands life and death because he allows himself, doesn't he, to be thrown into the lion's den. So Daniel is a man who understands all the experiences of life in the real world. But he also understands the unseen world, the heavenly world. Now how do we know this? Well, we know this because Daniel has to grapple with information he sim- simply couldn't get from the world. Uh, he has to keep grappling with the scriptures and he has to keep on grappling with visions that he didn't ask for. So Daniel is brought face to face with the unseen world, this, this heavenly world that is very, very real. And what we discover in uh, these opening verses is that Daniel takes God seriously. You can see that in verses 2 and 3. And because he takes God seriously, in verses 4, 5, and 6, God gives Daniel a stunning vision. Come with me to verse 4. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month... As I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, that's about 20 miles outside Babylon, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Well, friends, I can only say that if you get a vision like that, it makes a huge impact, doesn't it? And I don't think that we should hesitate to say that this is a vision of Christ. Daniel is being allowed to see something of the second person of the Trinity 500 years before Jesus Christ Was born. The reason I think this is because we've already seen the Son of Man back in chapter 7. And in the battle uh, that follows this chapter in chapter 11, Jesus is going to be the key to the outcome. So it's very appropriate that he's introduced here. But most importantly, the reason I think this is a vision of Jesus is because Daniel 10 5 and 6 is almost identical to Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, where the Apostle John sees Jesus. The descriptions are almost identical. The effect is almost identical. Both men fall to the ground. And the comfort is almost identical. In Daniel, it's the hand and the word of comfort, don't be afraid, Daniel 10, verse 12. And in Revelation 1, there is the hand and there's the same word of comfort, don't be afraid, Revelation 1, 17. So I'm sure that in these two apocalyptic books, we are being given two visions of Jesus Christ. Why does God do this? Well, because something very serious is taking place. Daniel's going to be given a vision of a very serious cosmic battle taking place behind the scenes. But before that, God gives his servant Daniel a vision of the greatness of Jesus Christ. This is the sort of thing actually that God does again and again in the Bible. When God calls Moses to a difficult job, he first of all shows him the glory of the burning bush. When God calls Isaiah to a difficult job, he first of all shows him his holiness in the temple. And then when he calls Ezekiel, when he calls Jeremiah, when he calls Daniel, when he calls the Apostle Paul, God gives them a vision of his greatness his majesty and you see friends the Bible records these tremendous visions that God gave to his servants in order that you and I will be helped to walk in the world by faith and not by sight now is that a crazy way to live is it a naive way to live no it isn't Jesus says it's actually a very blessed way to live. For example, um, I'm sure you remember the story of Thomas. Uh, Thomas hadn't seen the risen Jesus. Others had seen the risen Jesus. But he'd t- been told about the risen Jesus, hadn't he, by the other disciples. And Thomas knew the other disciples very well. He'd lived with them for three years. <clears throat> they said, we've seen the risen Jesus. And it would have been entirely appropriate at that point if Thomas had said, well, okay, I haven't seen him, but I trust you. Uh, And if you say he's risen, we've seen him, that's good enough for me. That would have been sensible faith, would have been reasonable faith. And actually Jesus significantly says that would have been a very blessed position to take the position I myself take. I've never seen the risen Jesus, but reliable witnesses have seen him, and they've recorded the fact for me and for you. And John says in chapter 20 of his gospel, these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. So you see, friends, We don't actually have to see everything with our eyes. There are hundreds of decisions that we make every day on the basis of what we hear rather than what we see. And God's kingdom people are meant to take seriously reliable witnesses, especially, of course, the Lord Jesus. Let me give you one example. Do you like the fact that God says, in my Father's house are many rooms? Now when you hear that, does that warm your heart? Are you prepared to trust Jesus for that? Many rooms in the Father's house, are you trusting him? You see, he's the most reliable person in the universe. It's entirely reasonable for us to trust him. I mean, he's not a trickster or a deceiver, is he? And that, of course, you see, is why the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen, says Paul, is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Now, friends, we need to help one another to do this. I want you to keep reminding me about the unseen realities, and I'm going to keep reminding you about the unseen realities. And I do want you to model your convictions about the unseen realities. What does that mean? Well, it means pray, because the unseen world is real, it means love one another. ...because the unseen world is real. So love one another, especially here in the church family. And it means share the gospel... ...because the unseen world is real. If I were to hire a private detective... ...to follow you on any week of my choosing... ...would they be able to come back to me and say... ...well I'm absolutely persuaded... ...that this person believes in the realities of the unseen world... Be a good test, wouldn't it? And if they came back and said, Well, you know what, there's absolutely no evidence at all that this person is anything other than a temporal person, their eyes are permanently glued on this world only. If he were to say that about you, well, how do you know that your prayers this morning and your singing this morning are more than empty words? You know, throughout our series, we've been confronted, haven't we, by the sovereignty of God? And I want to know whether the sovereignty of God is so real and so special to you that it governs your thoughts and your decisions every hour of every day. Because God's kingdom people believe in the seen and in the unseen. Second... God's kingdom people believe that God is both sovereign and fighting. Now, by that, I mean that he is both victorious and also in a battle. And you see this picture, don't you, in verse 5. This is a very, very impressive person, isn't it, in verse 5. And he's got the robe of a king... The golden belt of a king. He's transparent in appearance. Face and eyes of fire. Arms, legs, bright and strong, and a voice like a thousand people. So this is the Lord of glory. He's absolutely unbeatable. I mean, who could possibly stand up against him? If he says, be gone, well, you've got to be gone, haven't you? And when we see someone like this, so great, so glorious, I think we realise, don't we, what Jesus put aside when he became a man and what he put aside when he became a sacrifice. What amazing humility. And uh, I think this vision makes us think, well, it certainly makes me think, well, if this is reality... There can't possibly be any trouble in the world. But of course there is trouble in the world, isn't there? There is a battle going on. So I want you to look with me now at verse 12, which is actually a very unusual section. Daniel is told that his prayers have been heard, that someone has come in response to his prayers... Now look with me at verse 13, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to tell you what it means. Verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. Well, that's a pretty bizarre verse, isn't it? They don't come much more bizarre than that. But here's what it means. The messenger, who might be Jesus, or at this point might actually be an angel, we're not sure. The messenger says to Daniel, we've heard your prayers, we've come to answer them, but we were held up. And we were held up because there was something going on In the unseen world, which involved the prince of Persia. That, by the way, is the angel who represents Persia. And you'll notice a bit later in the chapter, in verse 20, uh, there's also the prince of Greece, and there's the prince of the people of God called Michael. How appropriate. And that something's been going on in the heavenly world which has delayed us, the messenger says. In other words, we had to solve something in the heavens before we could do something on earth. Now, friends, isn't that a humbling thing to be told? See, you and I think that it's all about the here and now, what we can see with our eyes, what we can touch with our hands someone comes and says, I'm really sorry, there's been a delay in your plans, a delay to your prayers, a delay to your wishes, because something bigger was going on that is almost impossible to explain to you. What a humbling piece of information to receive. And I want to ask you this morning if you can believe that what we see in this world may be only a micro version of what's really going on in the unseen world. Can you believe that? I mean, I don't want to be thought of as weird any more than you do. But the Bible teaches very plainly that in the unseen world where God rules, there is a battle going on. A battle which makes all the battles in this world seem small by comparison. No one has actually put this better than Abraham Kuyper. Uh, Abraham Kuyper was a tremendous Dutch theologian. Very remarkably, he was also Prime Minister of the Netherlands in the early part of the 20th century. That's an unusual combination, isn't it? We could do with more of that today. Anyway, Abraham Kuyper said this, and I quote, If the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world came into view... It would expose to our vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. And our earthly struggles drone in the backlash. My dear friends, Abraham Kuyper was not weird. He was a very brilliant man. He founded the University of Amsterdam. He started his own newspaper. He set up the Labour Union in the Netherlands. He founded the first Christian Democratic Party in the world. But because he read his Bible seriously, this was his conclusion... It is very big up there. Now the point I want you to notice is that the sovereign God, uh, described in verses 5 and 6, is controlling a war in verses 13 and 14. And that war is going on right now behind the scenes. It will end at some point in the future... But for the time being there is both God and war. The victorious sovereign God and fighting, both are real. Can I say to you this morning, you and I need to hold on to both of those things because it's very easy, isn't it, for us to say, like the unbeliever, well I see the trouble and therefore I remove God from the equation. But the believer can say, yes, I take God extremely seriously. At the same time, I can't understand why he doesn't remove the trouble. That is an entirely natural thing for the believer to say. How long, O Lord? How can you wait so long? And the Bible says the sovereign God is waging a war which, yes, eventually he will remove. But you and I have got to wait on his timing. Time will come, as we've seen in Daniel chapters 1 to 6, when all of God's enemies, the great enemies of sin and sickness and death and grief and evil, will be removed. And righteousness and Christ-centered living, a new creation, peace and joy... And delight will one day be our experience forever, unbroken. The clearest proof of that is when Jesus came into the world and demonstrated as clearly and as simply as he could what he's capable of. And the greatest, of course, of all those proofs was his victory over evil and death at Calvary, wasn't it? So there are two marks of God's kingdom people We're people who believe in the seen and the unseen. That means, of course, that we are completely realistic. We are realists. And we're also people who believe in the sovereign God and the battle. And that means we are discerning people. And then lastly, God's kingdom people are weak and strong. Well, Daniel's weak. Uh, by the time chapter 10 happens, he's 84 years old. And when he comes face to face with the Lord Jesus, in the middle of verse 8, he says, I had no strength left. And at the end of verse 17, what does he say? My strength is gone, I can hardly breathe. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but... People who see something of the sovereign God in the Bible never have a fun time, do they? Have you noticed that? They're always crushed by it. They're overwhelmed by it. And yet they're also strengthened and they're also equipped. But in the truest sense of the word, it is always an awful Experience, isn't it? You know that. And Daniel feels great weakness. He's been expressing his weakness in prayer, and now he feels physically weak in the presence of the Lord Jesus. But the Lord is full of strength, and in verse 18, notice this he gives strength to Daniel. And he gives strength to Daniel so that Daniel can cope with the message, verse 21, which is in the book of truth. That's the book of God's plans for the future. Now, friends, this is absolutely typical of all God's people in every age. It pleases Almighty God to use people who are weak and who know that they're weak. And, friends, you and I express our weakness best when we're praying. We see Daniel at his weakest in prayer in chapter 10. And yet he's never more effective or productive than when he's expressing his weakness and his dependence in prayer. Now, friends, we are very weak Uh, In my folly, I'm often tempted to think that I am strong, which is why I'm sometimes such a bad prayer. And you keep thinking you're strong, and that's why you struggle with prayer. So we do need to keep reminding ourselves that while there is an unseen world and a battle, that we are weak. Which is why the Lord Jesus himself taught us to pray on a daily basis, Lord Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil because we are weak. The last few days, a video was doing the rounds on social media. It was a video of a woman dressed in a cat's costume. Some of you may have seen it. She was addressing a school board in the United States and She informed them she's not a woman, she says I'm a cat, and she absolutely insisted that they address her as a cat. Very brilliantly she used that as a way of challenging the crazy narrative in our culture, that just because a man dresses as a woman, that he really is a woman and should be treated as such. And the video is extremely effective because, of course, we know she's right, don't we? But, of course, the truth is most of us are too frightened to say so because we're weak. You see, our biggest problem is is not that. Our biggest problem is when we think that we can solve the mess in our world uh, by our own human resources or by some kind of worldly solution rather than simply kneeling and praying to the one who is described in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. This very, very great and wonderful person. I mean, what a wonderful thing to know that whatever you're dealing with this morning, you can go home after the service and you can get down by your bed on your knees and pray to the one who's described in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6 and know as you do it, That he is for you. That's a very wonderful thing, isn't it? So, what have we learned this morning? First, we've learned that the people of God believe in the seen and the unseen. Bishop Joe Bell was a friend of this church, Uh, he preached here a number of times over the years. And he died a few weeks ago. So think of it. Bishop Joe Bell has moved from the seen into the unseen world. I absolutely expect to see him again. I know other people who've died in the last few weeks. And I'm not sure I'm going to see them again. But I do expect to see Bishop Joe. Friends, we believe in the seen and the unseen world. Second, God's kingdom people also know that we are in a battle under the sovereign God. He's in complete control, but at the same time, you and I are walking an extremely rocky road. And we don't always get things done as neatly and as easily and as quickly as we would like, because we don't understand all the issues. But God does understand all the issues, and His timing is absolutely perfect. And then, third, God's kingdom people also recognize that they are weak, but He is strong. So, what do they do? They call to Him, He strengthens them, and He enables them to be extremely useful. They're loved, they're helped, they're strengthened, and they're useful. So, dear friends, this coming week, can we remind one another of these things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for revealing to us something of the unseen world. We pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on these things. We thank you that in the midst of the battle, you are sovereign. You do all things wisely and wonderfully. Your timing is perfect. We pray that you would help us to trust you, And we thank you that though we are weak, you are strong and you are very graciously willing to share your strength with weak people. We pray that you would enable us to kneel before you and bring all the needs of our lives and our world to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.